Good Monday evening, people. Not for nothing. People walking by the streets of New York City as I watch them through my window. It's not creepy at all, is it? I am solo again. <clears throat> it's K Chris, for those of you who can't tell by my voice. I'm here all by myself in the studio. See, Chris has left me. Wait, just checking the door. Nope, not there. Yep, he's left me. He's left me all by myself. Doing the show solo again. I guess it's just me and whoever's listening. Which is fine. Getting used to it. Feel, I'm starting to feel like a battered housewife or something. Husband's always out on the road. All alone. I have nothing to do but drink white wine spritzes. Uh, so I'm here by myself. I'm so sad. <laughs> and uh, I'll get through this with or without him. Maybe he shows up. Maybe he doesn't. He's got a lot of work to do. He's a very important man. He's a very busy man with his work and his career. And he never comes home anymore. He's, uh, he's working. He's working his butt off because he's all alone. His partner in crime on that side of the field is, uh, is, uh, is gone. So he's having to shoulder the load and all the work. Poor guy. He has to actually do some work. But we'll move on. Like I said, with or without him. Maybe he shows up late. I'm not sure. I'm not counting on it. He might. Maybe I'll just bring someone in off the street as they walk by. Maybe Steven Soderbergh walks by again. I don't know. One can only hope and dream that that happens. And Chris isn't here to see it and be a part of it. So we got a nice show for you today. It's going to be a nice one. Real nice one here. We, um... Let's get this out of the way for a second, actually, first. Let's just talk about this and dive right into this one here first. Um, there was... There was a poor... We've been talking to Colin Kaepernick to death. To death. Beating the dead horse. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying he's a, he's a dead horse. But the topic is. And it's a little... Um, I know it's a little... I don't know. It's nothing new to bring to the table. It's a little boring. What are we actually talking about? I was just reading, actually, just before we started the show, that the Seahawks signed a new backup quarterback. And everyone is up in arms. Up in arms. Uh, how could they do this and not sign Colin Kaepernick? And I kind of agree with him. Um, to a point. To a point, and I'm defending my Seahawks, I guess. I'm going to sound like the a-hole here. But uh, I'm... I, there's a lot of factors involved here now. There's a lot of stuff in play. We don't know the whole story, the whole truth. We can only speculate and guess. That's what we do best. And uh, we're going to do it. And this is, this is how we're going to do it. This is what I'm going to talk about with Colin Kaepernick. Whether he's a starter or not, whether you think he's a starter or not, whether you think he's getting blackballed or not, I actually believe the Seahawks have an ulterior motive in not signing him. I do. I think he's, um, I think he's a talented quarterback. I think he's a starting quarterback for some teams. And I actually think Seahawks would be a good place for him to be a starter as a if they didn't have Russell Wilson on the team. He uh, they could have a they could have a uh, 
No, not my motorcycle. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, I think he could be a starting quarterback on a, on the Seahawks. Actually, I think the Seahawks are the right kind of team to actually carry him, where he doesn't have to do most of the the load, and he doesn't have to be the superstar uh, quarterback and have to lead the team necessarily. I think he's sort of what Russell Wilson was a couple of years ago, maybe, as as sort of learning the ropes, learning the system, relying on a running game and a defense, and I think. The Seahawks as a team could provide that for him. Having said that, you're not going to pay Colin Kaepernick $8 million to be a backup. You're not. You're going to pay him probably two. A smart team would pay him $2 million. Not, probably not even $4 million. It's, too, it's taking too much cap room. For a guy who's, you're hopefully, you're hopeful that he's not going to play much at all, Right? So why spend all that money when you might need it on other places during the season? Now, I do, I don't know, this gets a little tricky in these senses, but I do, I, I do think Colin Kaepernick's gotten not getting his fair shake or an opportunity to actually play in this league. But I think there is enough overriding circumstances of, of factors with some of these teams, and I think the Seahawks are uh, almost a great example for this. If you've been reading all the other stories that have been out there lately in interviews and whatever else about the Seahawks and the turmoil and the chaos and the circus that they are as a team over the last maybe year or couple years and the way Pete Carroll runs his team, uh, and he doesn't mind outspoken players and the sort of the Players kind of get that sort of, um, uh, you know, inmates running the the prison sort of analogy, I guess. It's, there's a, if that makes sense to you, and if there's, if there's drama, um, if there's drama in the locker room and on the team, and that maybe not everyone's supportive and behind Russell Wilson, as the coaching staff is, and they believe that the coaches sort of cater to and favor Russell Wilson a little bit, more so than any other player on the team, a la Richard Sherman and whoever else you want to throw in there. I don't, I don't not believe that. I, I believe it. I do believe it. I, I believe that that's probably true. The argument for that is it's the quarterback. And the quarterback is by far the most important position. Um, and you might play by the rules a little bit differently. It's like when Griffey was a Mariner or when Ichiro was a Mariner, there's all these stories that like Ichiro doesn't have to do everything else that everyone else does. He's a superstar. Superstar treatment. LeBron doesn't have to do everything he doesn't want. You know, he doesn't do but the rest of the team might have to. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. But you get the idea of Jordan. People get superstar privileges. When you're the best player on a team and one of the best players in the league, you're going to get a little more preferential treatment. It's just the way it is, right? So the fact that there is some players on this team who may not be the biggest fans of Russell Wilson or may not get along with him or sort of, I don't want to say envious because I don't think that's quite right, but are a little skeptical of his treatment by a team that is completely different by every other player on that team. Then you bring in a guy like Colin Kaepernick, who is already has 
an, an established positive uh, standing, I guess. I don't know what the best way to say it, but, but a favorable standing by a lot of the players on this team, on the Seahawks team. A lot of them have already come out and uh, backed him uh, publicly, uh, stood for what he was believing in, thinks he's a nice guy, are actually somewhat friendly on the team, um, understand his, his what he's doing, and, and, and all that kind of stuff, and they're supportive of that. Now, if he comes into that locker room, and all of a sudden he has the voice of, and most of those guys are the leaders on offense and defense. Now, do you want to risk bringing in someone as divisive as Kaepernick could be potentially, and not just within the general public and the fans of the NFL or the world, but in the locker room as well, on teammates. And I'm not saying he's going to out... Kaepernick, I don't think, could outperform Russell Wilson. But he plays it long enough. He has a voice. Uh, and he's enough of an influence and a role model that people might favor kind of Kaepernick's voice in the locker room where they they don't maybe support Russell Wilson as much because he's the de facto quarterback. And that's where you kind of come in with those things where it's quarterback controversy words come into play. There's a part of me that believes that Pete Carroll is smart enough to go, that's a chance I'd rather not take. <clears throat> Just why, why go down that road? There's no reason to go, you know, there's no reason to chance this and take this sort of risk of this becoming a problem or an issue within our own locker room and creating something that, that you don't want. And that's and and that's where I get it. That's where that's where I understand. I understand that, and I get it. And I'm supportive of that, at least that idea that you don't want that to happen. Now, I I don't know factors or reasons that don't probably make sense beyond or within that scope too. Is you know can Colin Kaepernick actually take over a locker room without being a good and effective quarterback? Probably not. I, I, part of me doesn't think he can, he can sort of win over this locker room and not be the starting quarter without being the starting quarterback on the team. And I, I just I don't see him being able to outplay uh, and outproduce Russell Wilson in the, month, in the few months that he's here or this season, and Russell Wilson's been here for five or five years. I, just, I don't see him being able to overcome that by leaps and bounds that much and being that impactful in a short, that short amount of time where Russell Wilson is already established within this culture, on this team, uh, knows how this organization runs and wants and how to run that offense to the best of his ability. And Colin Kaepernick is going to be able to come in and figure that out. And if you've read an article on ESPN a week or two ago, it was sort of this timeline of of uh, the history, basically, of Colin Kaepernick's sort of rise and, and fall, in a sense. It was a, actually kind of an eye-opening article about scouts' takes over the years and how they kind of before even this sort of, you know, happened with Kaepernick last year, kneeling for the anthem and all those kinds of things. He, he did it. He, it's a, it's a great read, and, and you reading it would be better for me trying to tell you. But there was a lot of things in there about Kaepernick's um, abilities as a quarterback were sort of, you know, there 
and noticed and, and sort of his lacking of maybe how to read a defense and run a proper offense and make the you know sort of the throws you need to make as a you know, as a high end quarterback and all those kinds of things. So that was that was sort of an eye opening point where maybe the Seahawks tried him out, put him through a workout, and just said, "Hey, he can't he can't maybe just do some of the things we we need him to do from a from a base fundamental um, process here of 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 how they run their offense." I could believe that too. However, the alternative to this and, and the the other side of this argument to my theory of this notion of they don't want, and Pete Carroll actually said this too. This is important. Pete Carroll said Kaepernick is a starting level quarterback. He deserves to be a starter. He is not a backup, and he would only be a backup on this team. And this is where I sort of get, they sort of lose me a little bit with this, is Carroll's whole philosophy and the Seahawks' whole philosophy in the last four, five years has been compete, 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 right? Your job is never safe. You're never the, you're never a starter until, you know, each game is played, basically. Like, no matter how good you are, you're always competing for your job. And they're always bringing in talent to push you to push your abilities and, and and to try to make you better. You know, and competition is, is they believe is brings out the best in everybody. And so that's why, you know, their goal at least is to bring in as many quality good players at each position. And especially if one guy falls off, another guy can step up and not much drop off there. Or if they have a guy who they think is good who's been starting for a few years yeah, maybe he's not that great. So they can bring someone else in, and if he's not being if he's being pushed, and he's not stepping up, someone else is going to pass him. And that's the theory, and at least that's the idea behind it of of the team and the premise of of it's a big part of of their team's philosophy. So, with that being said, why wouldn't you bring in Colin Kaepernick then? So that kind of doesn't sit well with me then either. As far as you don't, you just hire, you just, you just signed a backup quarterback today who was undrafted. He's bounced around the league a couple of times. They have, the Seahawks have, they do like him. They, they've tried to, I, th- I believe they tried to pick him up before. I'm not sure. Um, for whatever reason, they didn't. They have had their eye on this guy for a while. I remember his name has been bandied about over the, year, the last year or two and trying to, you know, sign him. There's been a couple of guys they've looked at like that. This guy might not even stick on the roster, right? I mean, he's new, fresh, fresh meat. Their backup last year, Trevon Boykin, is still on the team. He might, he might be their backup by the start of the season. But it makes you wonder a little bit why they don't bring Kaepernick in to compete a little bit. So there has to be other reasons, and the default reason is the one that just still sticks with everybody that he's getting blackballed or he's getting uh you know overlooked here you know on factors that are outside of football i, I still don't know if i believe it or not i i, I do to a point i, I don't want to believe it it's happening with the seahawks i don't think it is there but you know maybe it's a bigger distraction than they want to let on that you know that they they don't want that kind of distraction 
Uh, they're not looking for that kind of stuff. They're also maybe just vetting this for now, too, a little bit. See how this plays out. You know, how big of a deal is this going in two months from now when training ca- when they go into training camp and start playing preseason games? Maybe at that point, Kaepernick um, decides, you know, he's willing to be a backup and sit, or he's taking less money. Uh, because apparently those are issues that everyone but Kaepernick himself says are issues. So there's a lot of weird gray areas going on with this thing. And in light of that news today with Seahawks signing a backup quarterback, I just, I wanted to sort of, it, it was fresh in my mind and in my head and I wanted to get it out there. Um, it would have been interesting to see what Chris had to say about it, but we can always um, circle back to it at some point and see. But that's at least my thoughts on it. So moving on. Uh, I think we'll go to actually. You know what? <laughs> Let's, this actually this kind of ties into it a little bit, and it makes it, this is this is really dumb, really dumb. And I don't, I don't know why they're doing it, but people are making this analogy or this. It's not an analogy. It's a. It's a. It's just a. It's a crossing of two stories that you can tie together if you want to, and it's the NFL. And Monday Night Football, more specifically Monday Night Football, which is ESPN, is bringing back the theme song or the opening song for football is the Hank Williams Jr. All My Ready Friends. Now, they got rid of this a few years back because Hank Williams said some ridiculously dumb things and opened his big stupid mouth about it uh, and basically comparing Obama to Hitler I believe because uh, he was playing golf with someone and ESPN pulled that and then you know Carrie was it Carrie Underwood? Is she the one that took over? I believe that's the one. I don't know. Everyone's got someone different now. I don't know who's doing who. Maybe it's the F- F- Faith Hill ones. I'm not sure anymore. Doesn't matter. But the point is is that they're bringing back Dumb. Why is it always and why is it always country music? Why is country music always the one that's got to p- open these shows? Uh, that I don't understand. If that doesn't tell you, I think that tells you more about what their audience, what they want to cater to to their audience, more than anything else. ESPN, when they do basketball, they have like you know R and B, hip hop, rap stars doing their kind of intros, right? Football? It's country. What does that tell you? That pretty much tells you all you need to know about their demographics and who they're making sure they cater to and placate to. Which, again, gives you a lot of credence, I believe, and a lot of reasons why people are so concerned about Colin Kaepernick being blackballed in this league. It, it makes some sense. I believe it does. Um, and I think this is the, it just seems like (laughs) weird, bad, awful timing. You know, it's too much of a coincidence that, you know, Kaepernick can't get a job. And on the same day, uh, the Seahawks sign a backup quarterback. That's not Kaepernick. ESPN releases that they're reissuing this Hank Williams one. And they've even got a new video for it and blah, 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 blah. It's just, it's stuff like that, that just, you know, that's why conspiracy theories exist. And it's, it's, it's amazing how it's so easy to go down these roads and, and sort of connect these dots and follow the breadcrumbs because it's 
there might be something to it. I don't know. It, it it's um, it's confounding why this kind of actually happens all the time, but it does, and it could very, very possibly be real. And and uh, I don't I don't know I don't know what to say about it. I'm actually dumbfounded a little bit. I'm a little speechless about it. Anyway, so let's let's move on because I I don't know what else I don't know what else to talk about with it. And I don't really want to talk about it anymore. All right, NBA playoffs. Warriors are up to nothing. Um, they've blown out the Cavs for two games in a row. No one's surprised. Everyone thinks it's over. It's a sweep. It's going to be a clean sweep. The Warriors, best team ever. With the most dynamic duo of Curry and Durant. Isn't this what happened last year too, though? Isn't this what happened? This is what happened. They went up 2-0. They were blown about. They were actually, they're actually not scoring, or their point differential isn't as big as last year even. They were they scored more points in the last in the first two games of the last series than they did in this series. And everyone's quick to say that the series is over. I tend to agree, I think. I want to believe it's over. But after after witnessing what happened last year, I don't think you can say it's completely over. Now, my, my prediction is... I'll just get out of the way now. I think the Warriors win in five now, at this point. It's pretty safe to say that uh, it's, it's, um, it's pretty much over. But... Um, and, and the, the, the big difference is, is Durant, right? It's Durant. There's nothing you can compare to last year without Durant and to this year's team with Durant and say, like, oh, well, that, it doesn't matter. Like, Durant has made a huge difference here. Enormous. He has played two and maybe above the level of LeBron in these two games. And that is... I think that is big. and It's undeniable. Uh, and... It's... Um, it's... The, I, I mean, it's, the, it's basically... The, it's basically the difference. I think there's a couple other ones. You can talk about Curry. He's playing like a different player. But Durant... The way Durant has been playing... He's, he's on a different level, I believe. Um... He's he's playing differently from what I'm used to watching him play as a player. His his um, I don't know. It's just a, like the overall you watch him like his numbers. I don't even know if his numbers. I didn't even bother looking at and trying to compare his numbers, to, like in the playoffs to other games and whatnot. But he is playing above sort of what you've witnessed before in the past. Defensively, offensively, he was making crazy, ridiculous shots. It was great. It was it was unbelievable what he was doing. And LeBron, and this goes into this difference making, is that LeBron now has to guard Durant, where LeBron was basically playing off of Harrison Barnes last year, and he could sort of be a free safety. 
and sort of sit back and sort of cover everyone else defensively and lapses and just sort of play the field a little bit more and play the whole court. And he, you know, Harrison Barnes, nice player, decent player, but his he was terrible last year in the, in the finals, if I remember correctly. And so LeBron could just play off of him, play all over, guard and pick up the slack and do whatever he wanted to do on the defensive end. And he didn't get tired because he wasn't exerting so much energy following a player as amazing as Kevin Durant is around the court. So this year, by the, by the end of the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter, you know, towards the end of the third quarter even, you watch LeBron, he's huffing and puffing. He's standing there huffing and puffing like a f- fat man. He is, he is, he's winded and he's gassed because he's, he's exerting himself on both ends of the court now where he didn't have to do that before. And that's a huge difference. That's a big, big difference. There is another reason, and I, I do like this. It's, and I think this is true. It, it's, Curry looks different to me as well. From compared to last year's final to this year's final, he's um he's been playing outstanding. He ever he uh, he scored. I mean, he did, he had a triple double in the in game two. You know, when did you actually think he Curry was actually going to do that? Did you actually ever think he was going to accomplish that in the finals? He's he's been making shots. He's playing better. He's getting rebounds, assists. I mean, he had a lot of turnovers. Playing decent defense. Took LeBron to the hole. Scored on him, made him look a little foolish, even though it was a double dribble or a carry or whatever you want to call it. I think there was like five different fouls he could infractions he could have been called for on that one play. Although LeBron could have been called for like basically hand checking and fouling the whole time he had his hands all over Curry, which I think Curry is the first game too. I remember Curry actually getting enough uh, fouls called for him. And he went to the line fourteen times. I think he was fourteen for fourteen, which is pretty amazing in free throws. He went to the line enough that you go, okay, Cleveland is trying to batter him and hurt him, not hurt him, but batter him, get a body, be physical, rough him up a little bit, make him work a little extra harder, uh, and throw him off his game a little bit, which they did, I think, very well last year. Uh, and it worked to perfection. This year, they're they're not really they're, they're trying to and they're doing a little bit I don't know if Curry's holding up a little better I don't know if because he's not injured uh, or he's at, he's at as much as he was last year at least which is a huge difference I think he's playing on the level you know he's capable of, of being effective then now this year as opposed to last year he was just trying to you know play through whatever the pain he was having but it affected him affected his shot affected his performance all around so Curry's actually it's it's kind of whatever they're trying to do to Curry he's not being affected by it as much and I think that's a big difference. Curry maybe he's a little more prepared for it. He's he's sort of expecting he knows what to come and he's working kind of with it or through it around it whatever you want to call it. Uh, but Curry I think is 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 playing up uh, above his past performances as well. Which is which is big. So if you got Curry and Durant playing at these levels, and then everyone else is just kind of filling in, being role players, but being exceptionally good role players, it's really hard to imagine Cleveland winning four out of five games now. I mean, they're going to have to win four to five, and they're going to have to win. 
I mean, they're going to have to win the next two at home. Which they can do. They'll probably get a little more calls. They'll have the home co- crowd. Their role players like Corver and J.R. Smith, Tr- Tristan Thompson will play a little bit better than they have. Where's Tr- Tr- Tristan Thompson been, too? I don't understand that one. This guy has disappeared. And I want to tell you it's Zaza Pachulia, but it's it's not. The guy averaged, he's been playing 14 minutes a night. I, I don't know what the Warriors have been doing so effectively. But they're, they're, they've completely just taken him off the court, basically. Thompson played about 20 minutes or so. It's like four or five rebounds. Like, that is... That is something to behold. Whatever they've done, and I can't quite figure it out, what they're really doing effectively. I think they're just... I mean, the only thing I, I can assume is that they're boxing out, and they're putting a body on him, and they're going after rebounds more effectively and efficiently and with more attitude and and physicality. Like, they're... I think last year was a big thing. They were, a little, they were very sort of passive, and they just thought... They could get to every ball. They could score, outscore them, and they could play good defense and whatever else. Cleveland last year in last year's finals out hustled Golden State, a hundred percent. Like they got to every loose ball. They were a little more physical. They went after it, uh, and that's that's that has to be part of their game plan. Obviously, is to do that. But this year, Golden State has come back around. And was like we're not going to be out hustled. And you could see it a little bit in Golden and in, in Cleveland, and they're actually trying to run with Golden State, which they're they're not playing to their strengths. And their strengths are physical, muck it up a little bit, get down and dirty, slow the game down, um, sort of run the offense through Kyrie and LeBron, but but you know make make Golden State work a little harder on defense. And then, you know, if they need to kick it out and let one of their three-point shooters, you know, shoot and make. And that's the other problem with Cleveland is that their three-point shooters aren't making their shots. Corver hasn't been very good. J.R. Smith hasn't been very good. Channing Fry hasn't been very good, although he didn't play the first game. And um, he's my boy now because I won the bet from last week that Chris and I discussed. Channing Fry would get... Uh, more minutes in the series than games played. And last night alone, he got 11 minutes, I believe. So, boom, steak dinner, me. Thinking about going to Delmonico's. Maybe Luger's? Man, if we had a poll thing, I, I would post a poll. See where I wanted Chris to take me for steak dinner. But we'll figure that out. We got plenty of time. There's no time limit on that one. So, I'll, I'll, anyway, I got a nice steak dinner coming for me, courtesy of Channing Fry. Nice Channing Fried steak, as we joked about it last week. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so where does Cleveland go from here? I don't know. I really don't know. The only thing I think the only thing everyone is is hoping for is assuming is that they're just play better being at home, and their role players. And every other guy besides Kyrie and LeBron will just actually show up and start making some buckets. And maybe that's the case. Maybe they will. But that means that at best they can win two games. 
Um, and then what? And then what? I mean, it's the only hope that they can take this thing to seven games and try to win one in Golden State, and I just, I just don't see that's going to happen at all. There's another weird thing too that, I, you know, we we've talked about stats and analytics and all this stuff, and especially for basketball. I don't follow it a lot. I don't read a lot of them, but one of the main ones it was easy to pick up on is reading the box scores in the last two games. The Cavs. In the first game alone, the Cavs didn't have one player uh, in the plus category of like the plus minus, which is like basically it's it's player performance. Um, it's it's kind of a, tr- a measure of how effective of a player are you over the course of the game during the minutes the minutes you played. Zero is average, minus anything minus is below average, and the bigger the number, I guess you would say, is the worst player you are, and the higher the number in the plus category is like your freaking amazing Cleveland in the first game did not have one person in the plus category plus side it's I don't know if it's an end all to be all stat but I think it's a pretty good even LeBron James was minus 11 or something like that it was crazy he was actually one of the worst players on the team and he statistically speaking he was pretty good it's not a it's not an ultimate guideline it's not the ultimate, you know, measuring stick, I guess, uh, of performance and stuff. But I think it's a pretty good guideline. I think it's pretty. It shows you. Uh, it's a pretty good example of how poorly Cleveland played in the game two. They had four players at zero. They still didn't have anyone in the plus category, but at least they had everyone in the first game was in the minus category. Game two, they at least had four guys and zero, and that's. I think that's again. It's pretty telling. It shows you how bad they're playing. On the flip side of that, the Warriors had all positives in game one. And in game two, they had three minor players who had less than five minutes each, I believe. Uh, that was in the negative category. It was like, you know, Matt uh, Matt Barnes and, you know, a couple of guys like that. Like, it, you know. They got garbage time minutes at the end of the game, and they didn't they didn't rate a plus uh, in the category. So you know who really cares actually? I think that's pretty telling of how the series is going to go, and how you know it's it's indicative of of I think what's to what's to keep coming and and producing in each game. Cleveland's chance they need J.R. Smith to step up, and start making big shots. He needs to sort of you know recreate the big shot Bob persona that he's kind of shown in the past. He showed up last year a little bit like that. Um, and we'll see what happens. Kyle Korver needs to start playing better on often offensively. I don't know how much you can expect of him defensively. Jared Smith needs to start playing better defensively too. That guy, I think I made three fouls, I think within two minutes last night. And it was the most, some of the most ridiculous boneheaded plays this is sort of the, the J.R. Smith that you see in years past, and you go, yeah, that's the guy you really don't want to pay too much money or have a starter. And yeah, he's a starter in Cleveland. It, you know, Last year he was amazing. This year it's coming back to bite him. It's sort of par for the course for him. You know, He's up and down. Um, you can't rely on him too much, and I think they have been. And expect, they just expected him to be playing like a, better than he actually is. Kyle Korver, on the other hand, 
I mean, the dude's also 36. And you can't really have him play defense. Effectively. For a whole game. So he needs to really score. And he's not doing that either. Channing Fry hits a couple three-pointers. Not a great defensive player either. There's a, there is a problem here. And, it, and it's... I think all the worries of all Cleveland fans and as an organization, I'm sure, and the media, you know, was Cleveland needs to play a perfect game to win the series, and so far they haven't. And for them to play a perfect game in four out of the next five, I think is asking a lot at this point. I think they're a little here's, – here's another thing. I was just going to say Cleveland looks like an old team, right? They have a lot of old players in their mid to late 30s. And that's kind of a problem. But the average age of both teams is basically within one year of each other. Golden State is the average age of 28. Cleveland's average age is 29. Who would have thought that that actually would have been that close? I thought Cleveland's probably would have been in the 30s. And Golden State would have been a little bit younger, actually. But Steph Curry's 29. Durant's 28. Draymond's 27. Klay Thompson's in the 27. There's, there's, you know, these guys aren't old. But they're not that, they're not that much younger than Cleveland. And Cleveland looks like they're an old, they're an old team, you know. Darren Williams has no business being on that court. No business being on that court. He looks completely... He looks like an old man trying to play in, like, a rec league. You know, with, like, you know, with high schoolers or something. He... He just... He looks completely... The game has passed him over. Slow, ineffective... Um, and he has no business being on this... I think being on this team... Like Cleveland's a lot of their issues are coming up here to the to the forefront and being obvious like they they just need and it's, it's sort of why I never understood like why people always go pick up like veterans to complete the roster when they're playing for a championship because when push comes to shove most of you want usually younger faster more athletic players not older guys who might not have the legs that night might not show up you know, might be a little colder, might, you know, run, be a little slower, a step or two behind. And all of a sudden, that hurts you. Whereas if you have a couple of younger guys, they might make up for their lack of uh, skill with just sort of like the hustle and the athleticism and that younger energy that they, they possess. And I think a lot of times, you know, you know, might not go across the board with that, but have a little, a few more younger players. You know, when they, they cut, certain guys that maybe weren't good enough anyway that they, they probably wouldn't have been playing and being that effective anyway but that's always the problem I have was like when they just you know some of these guys they they get cut from one team and then they go to the, you know top contending team like the Cavs and they just think oh well you know, now they got Darren Williams you know and Derek Williams and a couple of these other guys you know that oh they, you know Richard Jefferson you know these guys are experienced veterans they might not be that good anymore, or they can't hold up for that long. They've been relying on Richard Jefferson now for two years. 
Like he's playing a you know a fair amount of minutes here, and he's not he hasn't been that effective against Golden State. And maybe this all stems from Durant. Part of me actually thinks this is all you know sort of knowing that they have Durant. Uh, everyone has to account for Durant and Curry, and then Draymond and Clay. And Clay started heating up in Game Two, started knocking down shots. And the fact that now Cleveland has to play. A lot of guys who have trouble defensively with Golden State's offense. There's a there's a problem there. There's a there's a big problem there, and I I don't know how LeBron, uh, LeBron and the Cavs overcome it uh, without really just sort of playing kind of like the Knicks in like the '90s, you know. Playing kind of you know dirty and cheap and and trying to knock them down into a pack you know sweep the leg sort of in a sense like you know kind of rough them up a bit and you start I actually saw it a few times in that game last night there was one LeBron threw a you know a three quarter court pass to Kyrie Irving Kyrie Irving pushed off Clay Thompson got the ball laid it in there was a big push off there that the cameras just barely show towards the end of the play there, and just before he got the ball, you could see there was a big push off there. And Clay complained, and rightfully so, I thought. Uh, there was another one, too, I think it was Tristan Thompson. There was another one, too, it was a big one. It was a big pretty big push off, and refs didn't call it. And if ref aren't, refs aren't calling those, and Cleveland pushes that a little bit more, so to speak, no pun intended, but, you know, tries to do that a little bit more, get away with a few more of those things, a little more, you know, not, I don't want to call them cheap shots, but it'll be a little more physical, then, and if the refs are letting him play that style, then Cleveland's got a chance. And I think that's kind of what happened last year. And that's what happened last year, and, you know, Cleveland was able to win the series and, and the championship because of that. So we'll see what happens with that. Anything else about that? I don't think so. I think that's... Um, I think that's what we got for the playoffs. What else can we talk about then? I really thought Chris would actually show up by now. It's quarter till. Part of me is wondering if he's at work right now and he's listening. I hope he is. I hope you're listening, Chris. This one's for you, buddy. I should I should actually play music here. I should do a shout out. Do some gazy gazing. Play a couple songs for Chris, all alone at work, having no fun by himself. What can we talk about to cheer you up, buddy? How about a little Ryan Brothers story? About old Rex and Bob Ryan. Wizards of the defense. They uh, they got into a little skirmish. Over the weekend, a little, little Donnie Brook, little brouhaha, a little uh, nah, it wasn't fisticuffs. There was a little pushing and shoving, and a little choking maybe. Bob Ryan tried to choke some dude in a bar. Kind of looks like a Hooters, or like a, like a Nashville like, not a chain version, you know, just sort of like an independent bar version of like Hooters maybe 
you know, maybe like a Margaritaville or something like that. I was in Nashville. Apparently, they're big Predators fans. Hockey. And the Ryan brothers were out in the bar having a good time. Drinking some Margs. And there's video of it. And this is the only thing we basically know about it, is that they were in a bar and they got in a little kerfuffle. We don't know if they started something, or if they were directly involved in it, or if they were trying to break something else up. But it almost looked like old Rexy almost got tossed on his ass by some dude, random dude. Looked like a frat boy. Kind of like a frat guy. But it looks like he kind of got under Rex a little bit and kind of spun him around, and, and if it wasn't, Rex actually caught himself and caught his balance there a little bit and stayed on his feet. Otherwise, it looked like he might have tumbled over. Of course, Bob took his exception to that and uh, put his big meat paws on the guy's neck. Kind of pushed him backwards. While someone else tried to grab Bob from behind. It was it was kind of a, it's a weird scene. It let the clip last for 10 seconds or something. And you're really trying to figure out like what the heck was going on there. But it's kind of funny to see like these two Dumbos. And Rex just got a just got a job with CBS or ESPN or one of them for football, right? And then he's getting into this little skirmish. Like I, I don't know if they're trying to be the nice guys here and help break something else up, or if someone else is popping off to them, or who knows what. You never know. A lot of these times, celebrities are caught in bad situations because idiots are put putting them there, and there's no good way out. So guys start calling you out, calling you names. They want to drink with you or whatever. They think you're buddies. Uh, and, you know, and if you're not polite and you don't accept their drinks and all those things, you know, you're, you know, who you never know, right? You just never know. So, hopefully, they weren't trying to start something with some other dipshits, and hopefully, they were trying to maybe stay out of it in a sense, and they got caught up a little bit in it. Unfortunately, but I kind, I kind of like the idea that. Old Rexy, Sexy Rexy, and his brother Bobby are uh, in the middle of something here. We'll see what happens. We'll see if anything else comes of it or if it just kind of blows over. So, Chris, if you're listening, Rex and Bob, that one's for you, buddy. What else happened? Anything else happened in sports? It did. I don't know if I really want to talk about it, though. I'm kind of bored with it. I am. I'm a little bored with... If it's not basketball, and if it's not football, why are we why are we talking about it? Like I don't. Know. Baseball is so boring, so boring. I was trying to watch games over the weekend, and I was like, eh, I don't really want to. It's like the Blue Jays and the Yankees, and who else gives a rat's ass? And it's like, I don't. I don't... What's there to talk about? Like, this guy... Seven seven teams hit seven Grand Slams in one day. Like, that was the exciting news of baseball. Albert Pujols just hit 600 home runs. And nobody cared. Nobody. It wasn't a story. Like, there's... There's only... Eight other players, I believe, who have 
accomplish what he just he just did. He had 600 home runs. And Albert Pujols just did it, and and everyone's like, okay, okay, I don't care. Is that an indictment because of like what's happened with home runs over the years? And everyone's just like, well, maybe he was on performance enhancing drugs. I don't really believe that he's hit legitimately hit 600 home runs, so why should I care? Um, I don't. It doesn't mean as much anymore now. Like they've baseball and the players have done this to themselves. But I started reading up a little bit more about Pools and, and what he was doing. It's a pretty amazing accomplishment. It's pretty awesome uh, what he's done in this career. And I think I have a I think I have a reason why it's not getting the publicity that it deserves or that it should deserve or that it would have deserved 10 years ago would have been a bigger story would have been a bigger deal but Pujols is in hitting 600 home runs he's the fourth youngest to reach that milestone right so there's only been three other players and I didn't write I didn't write down who, who else but it was it was pretty amazing he's he's done it faster only four guys have done it faster hit 600 home runs in a shorter amount of time basically he has he's 37 years old and he has four more years left on his contract right which means he'll be 41 at the end of it which means he has four years four and a half years to get 100 more home runs which if he doesn't hit another home run the rest of this year, that means he has four years. and he, That means he only has to average 20 home runs, uh, 25 home runs for the next four years, basically, right? Counting in this year, it probably drops him down to about 20 at this point. That's pretty easy to do. So he could, honestly, he could get to 700 home runs. Which is pretty amazing. I think, isn't it? Like, that would be a big accomplishment. But no one's even talking about that potential. He has, or he is only 126 hits from 3,000. I don't know if he can maybe reach that this year, but he'll probably reach it in the next, by next year probably at the, at the latest. And then he's only 145 RBIs from 2,000 which is another benchmark. It's 3,000 hits, 2,000 RBIs, 600 home runs. That was kind of the, those are kind of the, the, the benchmarks there for an amazing career. And he's going to mean, get the RBIs in the next year or two. Even if he's declining that much, he's still going to easily get to these, these benchmarks. But here's the point. 600 home runs, 2,000 RBIs, 3,000 hits, for a career there's only one other person who's done that one there's only one other person who has done that and that's Hank Aaron who's put up those numbers in those three categories a lot of people have 3,000 hits but they don't have the home runs or the RBIs a lot of people have home runs and probably RBIs but maybe not all the hits Pujols is going to be the only other player in the history of baseball besides Hank Aaron to have those three benchmarks and really, no one's still, still, no one's talking about this. 
there was the when he hit 599 the crowd in the stadium was pretty much empty there was no one in Anaheim watching these games even the Angels uh, didn't even hand out that much credentials f- for reaching these milestones on average I think it was like five or six more in the last couple games like there's it's, it feels weird it feels like this should be a bigger deal people in the sports in ESPN these things should be talking about this but they're not and here's my here's my reason for this it's it, Pujols is sort of he's, he's kind of the perfect example of the relevancy of baseball right now and it relates to his lack of postseason experience. Like Pujols, ever since he's been to the to Anaheim Angels, um, he hasn't been to the playoffs. I don't think. Angels haven't been very good. They try to buy themselves, uh, you know, a World Series of. of, of a team, you know, to win, and they haven't. He's been there for this is his sixth season, sixth season in Anaheim, and oh, they went there in 2014, right? So they went, they were in the playoffs with the Angels in 2014. So he's been there once in six years, in the last six years. And that's my, that's my point. Is Jeter was known for his greatness, but a lot of that has to do with him being in the playoffs year after year after year for most of his career. Pujols, in the last six years, has basically disappeared from postseason existence. Now, he was there a lot with St. Louis, for basically 10 years he was there almost every year in St. Louis in the last six he's been basically non-existent in the eyes of public and the media and I think the postseason is the postseason play is a validation of your greatness now in baseball like you can put up all these numbers and you can collect all these you know these these stats and these milestones and you could be or supposedly be this great player but if you're not in the postseason it doesn't mean anything anymore and I think this is in a, a cause and effect of the steroid era and these players did it to themselves they brought this upon themselves as falsifying these numbers and these accomplishments and these records and you know hitting 50 home runs 60 home runs now isn't that big of a deal and it might not even be truthful. It might not be, you know, um, they might not be real. Like, y- you couldn't hit these home runs without, you know, without being on performance-enhancing drugs. And if they did it, if Barry Bonds did it, and all these guys did it in the past, and Alex Rodriguez did it, you know, why is anybody to believe that, you know, Pujols or David Ortiz isn't doing it at this point now. So, 
the only reason I think the only way he's going to get legitimacy for some reason somehow and I don't really know how to explain this is if he's playing in the postseason like if you have postseason success and you're there year after year all of a sudden your stats are going to mean something a little bit more you're going to be viewed in a different light by everyone else and go oh you know nah he's a he's a great player He's a really great player. But since Pujols has been out of the, the limelight in the postseason limelight, because the postseason stage is the only stage now at this point with baseball where it's it's on it's not regional, right? Baseball right now and they're in with with TV contracts and all this kind of stuff, it's all regionalized. Um But the postseason is the only thing that gets you a bigger expanded audience. And now all of a sudden everyone's going to start paying attention to you, right? Where's Mike Trout? Mike Trout's supposed to be the best player in the game. No one really talks about him. Bryce Harper, pretty great, you know, great player, one of the better ones in the league right now. He's the only reason he's sort of being talked about lately is because he's he got into a fight. Pujols, for as great as he is and a, and a hell of a career as he's had. He's not relevant because he isn't on the sort of global stage, basically, at this point. I mean, who are, who are we talking about? You know, sort of like the Cubs. A little bit with the Dodgers, maybe. You know, the Yankees have been kind of irrelevant because um, they haven't been in the postseason lately. You know, everyone was high on the Mets because they've had success in the last couple of years. The Giants, it, it's sort of a weird... You know, you got Clayton Kershaw, I guess. Uh, it's probably one of if, you know the biggest name in, in baseball right now. Uh, and even though he hasn't had that success, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a little bit of the Cubs. It's kind of why the Cubs are always kind of a big deal and everyone's talking about the Cubs. You know, everyone, all of a sudden everyone loves the Cubs. Why? Because they won the World Series and they were on national television in the playoffs. And it's sort of, I think baseball right now is, a, is very much the case of what have you shown or done for me lately and I mean immediately lately and I think and I think that's why like no one's covering no one wants to cover Pujols and the Angels because they're they're boring and not a very good team and they're not a they're not a a national interest so that's why um I think that I, that's that's the only way I can figure this out or understand it. I gotta go. Show's over. Time to go home. I'm done talking. Chris, sorry you weren't here. Bye, everybody.